So I had, if you could imagine all of these people, and I didn't know much Swedish by then. So they're all throwing scrubs at me. They're like, Hey, put these on in a foreign language that I don't understand. And they're like, we're going into surgery. My wife's having to like translate and she's like, it's going to be okay. It's like, she was more worried about me. Welcome to the Skilled Dad Podcast. This is the podcast for dads of all seasons to learn the things that they can do and engage so that they can go and equip the next generation for success. Here we sit down with everyday dads just like you to learn from their story, get inspired, and then start getting after it. So we invite you to join in, see what you can take away from this story, and apply to your life on your journey to becoming a skilled dad. Hey guys, and welcome to the Skilled Dad Podcast. My name's Zach Reeser. I'm your host, and I'm glad that you've joined us today. It's kind of a, a milestone episode here because this is the first like seven hour difference time zone conversation that took a little extra coordination uh, with, with my guest today. And I'm pretty excited about it. And I'm really excited that we could actually coordinate the time and I got the time zones right. So yeah, me too. I'm pumped. <laughs> so today I've got Mr. Alex Van. Okay, I call you Alex Vandy. Okay, Alex Van Sompele. Oh, Van de Sompele. Like, help oh, me out here. You killing me here? All right, so it's and Alex. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Now we're getting to know each other. This is great. <laughs> so it's Alex Vandy Sompele. Uh, but it's great if you do Vandy because I've been working at a school this past year. And everyone calls me Mr. Bandy because the third part is just, let's be honest, for fourth and fifth graders, it's tough. Or adults like me. Yeah. Well, apparently there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Today I've got Mr. Alex Vandy with me. There we That's... go. And that nailed that one. Yeah. It sounded good, man. I'm... Look at you. Perfect. Uh, man, I'm so excited you're here. You're, you're actually a friend of somebody that had come on the podcast earlier. And, um, we got connected, we had a chance to, to FaceTime, uh, a few weeks ago at this point and, uh, finally able to line up a time to get together. And, um, I'm just pumped to have you on here and thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you, you are in Sweden. That is correct. Stockholm, Sweden in the capital. Okay. And based off your accent and I know the backstory, you're not actually from Sweden though. No, I'm not. I mean, I can, if I don't talk, I can definitely look Swedish, but I'm from Iowa. So <laughs> Iowa border raised, uh, as soon as I open my mouth, everyone's just like, oh, okay, we got an American here. Uh-huh. Mm. But do you, do you speak Swedish? Yeah, I do speak a little bit of Swedish. Uh, nothing to write home about there. I, I understand more than I speak. So the way I explain it to everyone, just so they can understand is that my wife can't have private conversations anymore. Ah. That's kind of the level that I'm at. I'm just sneaky enough that if she start, starts talking Swedish and I'm there, I can kind of decipher because you have a context for your spouse. Right. So I can kind of connect the dots. Okay. You speak enough to make them wonder if they can be understood so that you're dangerous enough. Yeah, just dangerous. You know, just enough to be dangerous. Yeah. Under the radar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We use secret languages around our kids. Uh, 
so that, you know, it, maybe, cool. maybe like you, it motivates them to want to learn Spanish or German. Yeah, it's a good thing. I mean, the bad part of me being an English speaker is that usually in Sweden, the adults and the parents all speak English around their kids because kids don't know English yet mm. until they get into third, fourth grade or something like that. Um, we don't have that luxury at home. So we're spelling everything kind of like, maybe you do that as well. Like you spell out words, like we're going to the P-A-R-K and then your kids don't know what that is. Cause if you said park, the two-year-old's going crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah. We did that. Uh, and now, you know, m my son could probably spell your name better than I, uh, at this point. So it's that, that part is done. Um, but it's good. It's good code word system until they learn to read. So that's good. I'm right. Man, I, when we talked a few weeks ago and I got to learn more of your story, I got really excited about having you on here. Um, Alex has got just a really fascinating story, both with, you know, Sweden and also some of the differences that he sees out there and seen out there. And I'll, I'll let him tell more of that. Um, but Alex, if, if you're open to man, let's tell us about yourself and we'll just take it from there. Yeah, sounds great. Well, uh, Davenport, Iowa, born and raised in the middle of the Midwest. So you can't get more Midwest than that. Um, my connection to Sweden, oddly enough, is through my family and specifically my mom. So my mom lived in Sweden about 40 years ago, it would have been, as a foreign exchange student. And so she almost knows more Swedish than I do, which is kind of embarrassing, but it is true. So you are like a Midwestern Swede. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Like my great grandparents, they were speaking Swedish in church because they were from Sweden okay. and I was born, this is weird, but this will maybe explain a lot. Life is so, weird, man. That's why we have this podcast. I love it. We're trying to get to it. <laughs> uh, so my great grandfather was born February 25th, 1892. And I was born February 25th, 1992, like a hundred years to the day. And so he was the first one to come over to the United States and I'm the one to kind of come back to Sweden. So I've always kind of had roots there. I joked the whole time when I was at ministry school in California at Ready, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go on this missions trip. I'm going to go to Sweden and guys, I'm going to meet my wife there. That's what's going to happen. And it was all a joke. You called it like Babe Ruth. Yeah, that's it. I pointed there. I pointed on the map. I'm like, I want to meet my wife right there. And lo and behold, first meeting. Uh, I met my wife there and she didn't know how to spell my last name. So I, I was digging through my wallet, trying to get my ID out. I'm like, Hey, you know, if you want to look me up on Facebook, here you go. And she figured <laughs> it out. We connected on Facebook and the rest is history. Wow. That's wild. So yeah, wait, it's crazy. Oh, so, okay. When was it that you, you, you kind of called your shot, said I'm moving to Sweden and then I'm going to find my wife there. So that would have been in 2013, I started school of ministry in Redding, California. 2014 in the spring is when the trip actually was. So I met her then, um, we chatted on Facebook for maybe like a month and then started dating. We dated long distance for 15 months and it was just a collage of, you know, me going there, her coming here to the, or coming to the States that would be. And, uh, back and forth a few times until eventually it was just like, you know what, we're going to get married. Um, you come to the States, we'll do it here. And then we'll figure out a way eventually to decide if we want to be in Sweden long-term. And the main reason we decided on Sweden, um, 
there's a few others, but the main reason is childcare. Like you can spend so much time with your kids here. So I have like, I have two kids. I think I have over 400 days that I can spend with them, which is just crazy. a crazy amount. Yeah. And how do you, so like, how do you have 400 days? What does that mean? You have so days. Mm-hmm. So the way that it'll work is that if I apply through my work to take time off for my kids mm-hmm. within three months, I'm guaranteed to have that time off. So I could take chunks of, you know, a month, half a year, whatever I really want, as long as I have the job security for it. Um, that meaning that I have like a full-term contract and it's not like they can just get rid of me or not renew my contract, something like that. Right. Uh, which is great. So I just apply for it through the government and then I get it. And it's usually a percentage of wage, meaning it's not a hundred percent. It's probably something to the tune of 80% or so per day. Yeah. But it's enough to where, Hey, it's worth spending time with your kids, uh, especially at the beginning of their life where everything is just kind of crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah. The go through zombie zone when there's a newborn working on something that can help out. So I'm curious, do you, in your circles, do you know with that being more of a national opportunity, do guys take advantage of it from yeah. perspective? Is that like the norm? Yeah. Well, there's a few different things that can happen. So you can share these with each other. There's a particular amount of time that I have to use. I can't remember exactly what it is, but there's a certain amount that's reserved only for me and I have to take it. And that's a push towards men and women or, you know, whoever it is that's having the kid have the same amount of days. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it doesn't really work out like that. So for instance, like my wife had an emergency C-section. So who is it going, like, who am I to tell her, hey, you know what, sweetheart, going back to work, if you could stay home with the kids a little bit longer. You know what I mean? It just, it wouldn't have worked out that way. Right. Um, so of course I take a little bit more time, a few more days and I'm able to make it all come together. Wow. That's, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. And I know, I don't know like you do. Uh, I had a chance to live in Spain for a little while and just some of the European cultural differences. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still hard for me to fathom. Like I have 400 days that I can take for my kids. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's something that you have to focus on in the moment that it's like, okay, yeah, it's still 400 days, which sounds crazy, but it is finite and you only get this time once. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to practice, like, this is such a cliche for talking about being a dad, but like, you have to focus on being in the moment, Mm -hmm. be right there, even though you have 400, act like this is the only one that you got because you never know what happens in the future. Yeah. So you're not taking 400 days of golf. No, that's not it. Yeah. Not at all. Especially at the beginning, because like those first few months, everyone knows if you're a parent, like it's intense. It it can get pretty crazy. So it's full go. Um, yeah, like my, my wife had a C-section both times. Uh, the first one was an emergency and it was as emotionally taxing as it was physically, I think for her, because the heart monitor was disconnected because uh, mm. they didn't have batteries for the heart monitor at the hospital. So they forgot to plug it in. Oh, wow. And then they decided on a whim once everything started to get a little crazy on the 14th hour of labor, they were like, all right, let's plug that bad boy back in. And they're like, oh, 
darn, like the heartbeat's going down. So we're going to have to make a decision right now if we go into surgery or not. So I had, if you could imagine all of these people, and I didn't know much Swedish by then. So they're all throwing scrubs at me. They're like, hey, put these on in a foreign language that I don't understand. And they're like, we're going into surgery. My wife's having to like translate and she's like, it's going to be okay. It's like, she was more worried about me. But if your wife is about to have emergency C-section, she's translating for you what's going on as you're given a scrub and a, and a cap. Exactly. That's it. And, what uh, a soldier. Wow. Yeah. She's awesome. Seriously. She, uh, that's exactly it. A soldier. There's, there's not a, like, she's overcome a lot in life. Mm-hmm. She's very individualistic. She's very dependent. She knows what she wants, but those are the reasons why I love her. And, um. I'm just happy I'm able to be alone for the ride. <laughs> okay, we, we, there you go. Amen. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of us are. Um, yep. So what were you, okay, so that's a, that's, I'm totally fascinated about why the heart monitor was not on in the first place, but I'm not a doctor. Uh, some of our doctor friends can maybe help with that, but, mm-hmm. um, so you, you got, you're going through this whole, hey, put these clothes on, your wife's translating for you. What were you thinking? Um, you know, your mind really goes to, okay, am I going to come out of that operating theater with my wife, with a baby, mm-hmm. with neither, with only one of those? So that's the first, you know, gut thing. Cause it's your first kid. You don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, so that's the first thing that came through. But then once I got into the operating theater, everyone feel, they felt really in control. So I would have to say like the emergency care that we got was much better than maybe the standard protocols because at the beginning, when we arrived at the hospital, they were seconds from wanting to turn us away. They were like, oh, we'll check you, see if you're ready. But it's really common here that they don't want you to be in the hospital. It's going to take, you know, three days for your labor. Just like mm-hmm. if you, if you can spend as much time at home, which maybe that's normal in other places as well. Um, I could only speak to my experience of having kids here, Sure, but it was, it was crazy. It was exhilarating and nothing will be having your child in your arms after that moment. Um, she also had, I don't know if they do this in the States, but they have this like suction cup thing. Do you know what I'm talking about for the head uh, when they're trying to yoink the kid out? Oh, well, I've, I've heard rumors. I've not okay. experienced it, but I, I know right. that this is an opportunity of research for me. Oof. Um, like the, almost like the vacuum. Yeah. It's like a vac- vacuum suction cup yeah. thingamajig. Well, yeah. they, they used it like seven, eight, nine times, something like that, which is a lot. Yeah. So she's all, my daughter's all cone head as well. Yeah. When she comes out, yep. which is also kind of a shock of like, is she okay? Blah, blah, blah. Are they going to have to cart her away? But. It was really amazing and beautiful that after all of that anxiety really settled, I was able to go into another room with one of the nurses. We were able to check her out. She did fantastic. Um, and then just to be able to hold her and say, Hey, you know what, baby, I love you. You're accepted. I care about you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to protect you. Like, mm-hmm. even though obviously it's a child that in a baby that has no concept of anything other than where the heck am I <laughs> and screaming its head off. It was nice just to have that settled like moment yeah, with her and I by ourselves in another room outside the operating theater, just her and I, it was really great. 
was that your kind of aha moment? Yeah, I would say, um, that was the first of many, like, um, I wouldn't say that I'm the type of person that like all those emotions flooded in and you're automatically in love and blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, that was like the first step on the ladder, if you will, for me, where I had that moment, you kind of get those butterflies and you really connect into this person that you've never met before. Um, but I think along the way through spending time with my daughter, I've also just gotten to fall in love with who she's becoming because I've always had this thought in the back of my head. It's like, okay, I love you no matter what, but I have no idea who you're going to be. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious, like she just found out her favorite color is blue. So she, she'll be two years old. So she started to put these things together. Like blue is the favorite color. It's really fun to know that because I can actually connect with her in a different way. And I think it, it, you take another step up the ladder of growing and connection with your kid. When you have those type of moments, you can get to know what they really are. Yeah. Uh, I can attest to that. Um, and at two years old, there's a lot of fun things about to start happening. Yeah. And then your, your youngest is a baby baby, right? Yeah, exactly. So he is what, um, he was eight, nine months or nine weeks right now, wow. which is crazy in and of itself. He's kind of on the verge of like stomach is going crazy, screaming his head off, you know, parents ripping their head out sort of thing. Um, and they don't swaddle their kids here in Sweden. That's like a big no, no. Okay. Because there's some research in Sweden that suggests that maybe that has to do with some kids having adverse effects with it, mm -hmm. like sudden, uh, infant death or something like that. Right. So it's, um, so because of that, we've never done it before, but my parents actually visited this past week and they're like, Hey, maybe we could start, maybe try when he's awake swaddling him just to see if he likes it. Yeah. And I'll tell you this about a week ago, we had a kid that was crying and sat off at 7 PM until like 10 PM, almost every night. But now it's just almost like a miracle cure because he just loves being so like snug and secure and that sort of thing. Um, so the little guy's doing a lot better. Uh, his name is Jamie, which is yeah. kind of, yeah, it's Jamie. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people are going to think, oh, Jamie, maybe it's a girl, but like, it's kind of a guy's name over here. So it's, it is over here too. I think there's a lot with the spelling. Mm -hmm. um, I've got yeah, a of friends named Jamie. Yeah. Okay, great. We, and we also went Jamie just straight. Like we didn't do James or anything like that as well. Yeah. So I think that will help them along the way. Um, but we're also thinking like, if we want to be a little creative with the middle name. So I think we're going to do, uh, it was going to be Jamie Simon by itself, but I kind of, she kind of talked me into it. And then I kind of talked her into naming him Jamie Bear Simon. Ah, Bear. So, yeah, Bear. I like it. So yeah. like right now it's Jamie TBD Simon. Right? That's it. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I like it. I'm curious about that. So you, you're kind of holding off on the middle name. Yeah. We're kind of holding off. Decision. Like we knew exactly what it's going to be. And then we were kind of thinking, what if we did something to finish? And he's also born on the same exact day as my wife's, uh, grandfather on her dad's side. Okay. So his name is Bjorn, which is yeah. bear in Swedish. So since it's bear in Swedish, then we're kind of like, oh, maybe that's kind of cool. Like it's bear in English. 
So we're, we're thinking about it. We, I think we'll probably do it because we just ordered like new paperwork from the government to like send in the official papers. Yeah. Cause in Sweden, I think you get like three months or something okay. to submit the paperwork. And then they're like, all right, you really need to do this. Yeah. So you're, you're coming on the cuffs. Let's go time. Mm -hmm. That's it. We need to do it. Jamie Pierre. Jamie Bjorn. Like Simon. Him. Yeah. Simon. That's killer. Um, that's interesting with the million. So we had names for all of our kids on the front end and then they came out and we're like, no, it's not you. And really? so, <laughs> so we went to like plan B or C, uh, my son, my first son, we, we had a name and pretty much we're like, yeah, this is good. Daughter, totally different. Um, and even, even our, our youngest, uh, William was going to be Mason. And then he, he rolled out and we're like, nope, you're not a Mason. It just didn't fit. So well, I, I respect that and that you have additional time to kind of take care of that. Yeah, it's nice. Um, and some kids, they just go completely unnamed for three months and then it's crunch time again to just decide something. But it's uh, it's fun. And in Sweden, it's quite common. Like you can do like two middle names. That's why we're thinking Bear Simon. Like we can probably just do both of them because why not? I mean, his last name is Van de Sample. It's going to be long enough as it is. What's another name? Uh, once, once you have that finished, let me know. And then we can do like a mock-up license of what that's going to be. You that's going to be kind of like what you did for your, your wife. It's like in yeah. the future, he's going to meet his wife on whatever their version of Facebook or meeting someone somewhere and say, here, look me up. This is the easiest way to me. find me. Mm -hmm. That's like, good. It's going to be full circle that one right there. Absolutely. And he might move back to Iowa. So you gotta watch out. He might, I mean, he might. Or in a hundred years, his mm -hmm. children. Give him, give him a hundred years. He'll definitely be back in a hundred years. <laughs> That's fair. Mm -hmm. So with, okay. So the nine week old and a two year old, I'm curious when you moved to, you got married, mm -hmm. you're living in Sweden full time which I'm sure is quite a bit different. And then, uh, how long was it that you all were married before you had kiddos? Oh, let's see here. So we got married in 2016, moved to Sweden in 2017 and had Bonnie in 2020. So she's also a Corona baby. Oh, wow. Um, so that would have been three years, like three solid years of living in Sweden. Yeah. So then you, then you throw in the old, you know, uh, Corona on top of all the say since the first baby arrived, what was like your biggest, um, aha moment or takeaway that maybe you didn't anticipate, you know, we can, pre we can prepare to become a dad, but then here's this actually that moment you had in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Now you got the baby. And then since then, what's been one of the one or two big things that have been like, wow, I didn't expect this, or this is better than I thought it'd be, or the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you get tried and tested. I think, you know, adversity introduces a man to himself and so does having a kid. Mm. So in that way, I, I thought before going into it, you know, I got, I got patience down. It's kind of how I was thinking about it. It's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a pretty patient person. I'm pretty cool. Pretty relaxed. You do seem pretty chill. Yeah. Right. Like I kind of, yeah. It, I kind of give off that vibe. It's pretty relaxed. Like there's not a lot that gets to me. Um, but having a kid is a different level of patience that you need. Like you need patience in the moment, not just for like, oh, it'll be okay in the future. It's like, no, I need it right now. And this kid is screaming in my face and 
There's no open. The wife can't do anything because she's on bed rest or something like that. So I think it's been an onion to peel back that there's what you think you know and what you think you have as even a married person. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes the training ground for when you actually have a kid that you're like, okay, it's like, I need, you know, I was renting patience is what it felt like. And I really needed to own that very quickly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you, you have it to some extent, but until you actually have a kid, it's a completely different level. So I would say that like just having patience, being able to understand what's important in the relationship, like with my wife and I, like, I think, uh, we're talkers. Mm -hmm. obviously doing long distance for such a long time, we were able to talk through things. You get communication down, you feel really solid in it, but it's a different thing also when you have a kid and you have to talk over each other, like there's kind of assumed communication too. So it becomes this little bit of a dance that you gotta, gotta perfect mm. over time. So there's a lot of growing in that. Um, so that, I mean, that, I guess that has to do with parenting a little bit more. The moment that it kind of clicked, I would say, um, the, the moment that it clicked for me the most between myself and my kids and like the emotion of just being fully connected to them, if we can put it that way, it's probably the first time my, for my daughter was sick mm. and that emotion of like, I wish I was the one going through this right now, like anybody but her being sick because she was like throwing up and she was having high fever and. We were, it was Corona time, so it's quite understaffed at some of the hospitals. So it was hard to get in. And then they said, they, I can't remember what disease it was, but they were saying through the video chat, they're like, oh, it could be this, which had like a 40% mortality, mortality rate. Um, so we were kind of a little bit worried. And then you kind of get to the point where it's like, okay, no matter what, we're going to get through this. We're going to take care of her. If I don't get any sleep the next three days, just to make sure she's okay. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. So I think that was, that was a big moment for me anyway. You're like, okay, now it's game on. What was, was it that you said earlier? You said adversity intros the man. Uh, I would say intro adversity introduces the man to himself. To himself. I like that. Yeah. Just the idea, I mean, yeah, I don't think I came up with that, but it's just the idea of like, you, you really find out who you are when you're going through something tough. Yeah. And so you, and specifically when your kids are going through something tough, you kind of take it upon yourself that you're like, okay, any, anybody but them in this moment, that's what it really felt like the first time. And she was fine. Like it was probably just a bad virus or cold and it was her first time getting sick, but we had a first time dad, it's like the world to you. It's like, oh no, they're yeah. like, all hope is lost. <laughs> you don't know. And you don't know any different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, uh, it is, it's a lot of fun talking to first time dads or guys that are, are getting ready to be a dad. Uh, and you know, we don't, you don't know. It's like anything you've not walked through the doors before. You don't know the touch, feel, smell, the experience and it's the reps. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's super real on that front end. And then, you know, from the experience that I've had with, uh, my third one, you're like, oh, dude, you're fine. You're, yeah, you're going to be fine. And it's a totally different thing because you've kind of been there. Um, but on that front end, you're experiencing it 
for the first time, just like anything is new. The the idea back to that kind of quote that you said, and when you find out if someone else said it, you can tell me and they'll get credit, but until then you get credit. Uh, it's not necessarily that, um, a new concept, like a lot of things in life, it's, but it's the way you said it was really good. The adversity intros the man to himself and with each phase that the kids are growing through, there's whole new challenges that come along that I find myself in like, nope, never been here. Don't know if, you know, I've got anybody in my family that's been in this particular kind of thing. What do I do? I don't know what to do. So what I do personally is talk to guys like you or others and just have that brotherhood and get thoughts, opinions, insight, others that have that, had that experience and then, you know, research the junk out of it just so that, uh, you know, can be at least equipped to handle something new. But anyway, that's really good. Yeah. I'm curious, um, you know, kind of the, that experience you're sharing with the hospitals and a little bit different things there and, um, just being in a different culture, what is the perspective on dads and or fatherhood in like the Swedish culture that you've experienced or seen? Yeah. I mean, it's a very, you know, whatever your political views are, the way that I like to explain Sweden, because I guess politics does play a part in culture. It's part and parcel of it. Right. Right. So Sweden, I would describe it as they don't really have right leaning politics. They have left and lefter mm -hmm. politics okay. is the way to look at it. <laughs> and because of that, fatherhood is an optional entity. It's not looked at as essential, um, in the same way at yeah. all. And because of that, like, maybe you would see that fathers sometimes are a little bit more timid. Mm -hmm. Like they don't want to be overbearing. Uh, they don't want to be too aggressive. They don't want to put in that competitive nature inside their kids because maybe that's just a little too much. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can always speak to what I've experienced and that's kind of the feel, right? Like yeah. you, you aim towards equality so much so that you devalue maybe the really intense father figure historically that has been there. Uh, for myself, it's kind of a little weird to, to sit around and, uh, have kids that maybe don't pick up after themselves or like their parents aren't asking them like, Hey, can you, can you take this upon yourself to do this? Because we're at a friend's house, mm -hmm. that type of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Whereas if I'm in an American household, it's like the dad is kind of marching around and it's like, how dare you leave something on somebody else's table <laughs> or like, you don't leave it better than you find it. Like that's not maybe as prominent here. It's kind of like, oh, they're kids. Like the parents will do the cleaning up. Yeah. Until they learn any better. I don't know it's if not that's the sweetest thing. I think that might just be an individual household. Could be. on parenting. Could be. I mean, I come from the Midwest, so it's like farm town. You know what I mean? And you're kind of like, if you let your kids run wild in somebody else's house, it's kind of like, all right, well, we're never letting those guys in ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. I don't know about everybody that's listening, but we've had experiences like that. And people probably said that about, uh, you know, ever since we got three, we're like, that was loud. That was, loud. <laughs> it was a lot of people. It's a lot of hot dogs and hamburgers. Uh, oh, yeah. 
but no, it's interesting. I was, and I know, um, at least from some family members that still live out there and some perspectives that I've been able to see that it's the kind of more progressive style in, in the European world. And it's not a generalized statement, but, um, that there are some different things and tendencies going on there, but based on what you just said, um, I've seen, you know, there's such a mix here too. So I guess it's a matter of how we want to choose to raise our own kiddos and what we're aiming to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I would say this, like, there's another element of it that's maybe less intense. And it's like living abroad, being an American, I want my kids to get also like the cultural references as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So like, it was so important for me, for my parents to bring over like Dr. Seuss books. Cause I was like, so into Dr. Seuss, but here it's like, no one knows about Dr. Seuss at all. Yeah. And it, there, there are kind of those cultural kind of, everyone kind of knows about it a little bit type of things yeah. that I want them to get. So there's that, there's like a little bit more individualistic, uh, responsibility that I want them to get, uh, discipline, things like that, you know, but I, my wife will tell you this. I am notorious for putting the, the buggy before the horse with these things. Cause like I said, my, my daughter's two years old. <laughs> she, she doesn't understand this at all. Like a two year old can't even really functionally play the same game with another person, let alone learn these like really big core values. So I, I'm a planner. I'm pretty strategic and I want to like create this intentionally because I am in another country and yeah. If I want it to happen, uh, it's going to be on purpose, not because culture says so. Yeah. I love that. The fact that she's two and that you're thinking through that and planning it now, kudos to you, man. That's awesome. Do you, do you have a good group of guys locally where you are that you guys can sit down and hash through some of these things and dive into like dad stuff at all, or just good group of guys in general? Unfortunately, no. Um, because of COVID, it kind of put an end to like a lot of those type of connections just because everyone kind of sticks next to, to their own home a yep. little bit. Um, there's a few guys that are dads that maybe are American or like they're, they're quite kind of interested in like how I'm raising Bonnie. So maybe we, we bring it up every once in a while. Yeah. But it, it's a different in Sweden because you don't tell somebody else how to raise their kids. Sure. Or maybe it's broader than that. Giving life advice is very taboo. Mm-hmm. Like telling someone else like, Hey man, this, this would be a good idea if you did this. Like, Hey, you, you start working out. Like even, this is, even the kind of kick in the pants accountability that mm-hmm. a good buddy might, you know, that's the value of having a good buddy. It's not just somebody's going to tell you you're great and all those things, but that can also kicking the pants like dude you need to get your stuff together yeah seriously you know after leaving home and going to school ministry i gained a little bit of weight mm-hmm. and you know i'm still I'm, I'm looking okay but like i gained some weight back then so one of my buddies back in iowa when i finally got married with back he was like alex put on a few, few pounds a few pounds there <laughs> it was just kind of like that friendly banter that only somebody that you've known for a while can kind of have with you right um yeah. And then I finally, you know, moved to Sweden, had some time before my visa process went through. And I finally started working out a little bit, dropped some pounds, starting to kind of like how I look. Yeah. And it was the darndest thing. Nobody said anything. 
nobody like i i'm shedding some some pounds i went from like what 180 down to like 145 150 something that's like that pounds man that's like 180 145 that's yeah something like that so like it was a considerable amount of weight and nobody said a word and i'm not saying that i'm doing it because i want the attention sure you know i'm just doing it because i want a healthy, healthy lifestyle at least you know that's what i tell myself and uh <laughs> It was just kind of funny because nobody comments on each other in the same way here. Nobody gives advice in the same way. So it's a little bit of a taboo thing to be like, hey, you should be doing this. Or like, hey, I've noticed like, hey, you're doing this really well. Yeah. Um, I hope that that's something that changes because I think it's really beneficial because it's kind of like, you know, iron sharpens iron, that type of thing. Yeah. You get to get life on life. And in the very, at the very least, if you get criticism for how you're doing something in life, you either get affirmed mm. and focused on how you're doing it, um, because of the back backlash can give you a little bit of focus or maybe you agree with them and like, all right, maybe I need to change. It's an interesting thing getting that type of feedback. Yeah. Feedback is an interesting thing. I just actually did a, like a work training on that. Oftentimes it seems that, um, people want the feedback and surprisingly it was a higher percentage of wanting critical feedback you know it was kind of like positive feedback negative feedback is this poll that was done it was these two things and more people actually wanted that critical feedback surprisingly than just like always the good stuff and it's not saying like oh you know always tear me up but to have something to grow from and that's something to learn from and there's mindsets involved in there too so the iron sharpens iron it is important have somebody that can kick you in the pants and at least you know maybe jab at you a little bit hey you're getting a little heavy but yeah but that might help motivate us if we're open to be open to the feedback yeah absolutely that's cool i i think it kind of you know it sets your focus a little bit um as soon as you get that critical feedback it's good to know if the voice in your head that might be saying like hey i wonder if i did that okay mm-hmm should I actually listen to that one because of the feedback that I just got that was really, really honest. Maybe those two things, those, that little voice in my head that said, Hey, you might want to do this different. Maybe the feedback's the same. Yeah. So then, you know, it's a trust. And I think you do that a lot as a father, like, um, there's times where you do things accidentally, right? Like, I think we've all been there. It's like, all right, I didn't really plan this. Um, like when my daughter was, uh, climbing up. You know, she, she's super mobile. So she was walking at taking her first steps at like 10 months. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, that one year. And so she's climbing on her feet. She climbed up on the top of the toilet and she was falling off backwards. And usually the rule is no climbing on the toilet. I didn't let her follow that rule at the time. And I catch her by the foot and I windmill her around and, you know, place her back on the ground. No problems. Right. Uh-huh. And that's a perfect example of, you know, it just kind of accidentally everything went perfect in the line and she's completely okay. <laughs> accidentally that, nailed it. Yeah. Accidentally nailed it. It's perfect. But I think it's, it's good to know when you actually hit the nail on the head and what you're doing is right. Yeah. That's good too. But parenting is so delayed gratification that you're really not going to know. It's like, okay, I hit that one on the head and we'll know in about a few years. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, it's a little bit of this podcast too, for, you know, um, well, one thing on the feedback piece, I think there's a difference in getting feedback from somebody you don't know from Adam 
Yep. Versus someone that, like you said, somebody you've known for a while, there's trust there. And so the value of the feedback or um, how we might take that in is going to also be dependent upon the amount of trust from that person. If we don't trust them and then they're giving us some feedback that's, you know, it might be more dismissed. So like that foundation of trust, which is to your point, having some other people to talk to that you can build trust with and then be able to provide that feedback for somebody else or get it from them. As long as we ask if we can give them feedback. That's all absolutely. Too. Absolutely. I remember when I was at school of ministry, uh, a way someone put it to me, a pastor there was like, if you're, if you want to tell somebody how to live their life or a big decision to make, you basically have to put a lot of equity into the relationship mm-hmm. in order to make that withdrawal. Emotional piggy bank. There it is. Emotional piggy bank, emotional equity, whatever you want to do with it. It's like you are making a withdrawal though, because you have to have something there in order for it to mean anything at all. Yep. 100. Which is good. That is good. good. And that applies in the business world mm-hmm. as well, just within yeah. it. So, um, and so all the free advice, you know, I don't know that we really give advice on this podcast per se, but rather our own experience is what we've learned. And so mm-hmm. people can take away from that. I guess there's some advice thrown in there from time to time. But um, so this time has flown by like it usually does. Uh, so for the last question I've got for you, uh, speaking of advice, what are one, two or three things that you've taken away that you would bestow upon somebody else that's either in in that two and below section or new dads or somewhere in between? Yeah. Um, can think of at least two. The first one would be know when you're overreacting Mm. because it, and maybe that sounds super simple, but it's like, you have to have an equal response to the problem that's in front of you. So uh, nothing is worse when you have a kid in front of you and you act way more upset than maybe you should have. Yeah. And they take it way bigger than it maybe should have, Mm -hmm. because I think like they'll get upset equally as you get upset. And they kind of mirror. That's how kids learn, right? Um, they mirror. So if you bring down your level of how upset you are, or if you even can get to the place of being calm, I think you actually teach your kid how to deal with their problems in a calm way or a really frustrated way. So that'd be one. Um, the next one would be, and let me just make sure I can think of this correctly and that I don't blank on it. Um, I think the first one, one of the first things that I started to really learn, um, probably by the time my daughter was maybe like three months old and my wife, you know, after the C-section, she's getting on her feet, she's really able to help out mm-hmm. and all that. It was just simply the fact that like, I'm not always the answer. Mm. And that was for somebody like me, like I'm very strategic. I'm very goal oriented. I want to make a plan for how to deal with problems and, and be ready. That was a tough pill to swallow because I know that there are going to be problems that my daughter has throughout life and my son will have them too. And I will not be the best option for advice or the answer in any of those situations. Mm. Uh, maybe some of them, like I could speak into it. Uh, I'm going to have the emotional equity built up, the piggy bank built up so that I can make some withdrawals, but Anytime that 
you know, maybe my wife actually needs to step in and is a better option and that's okay. Maybe there's going to be a stranger that I don't know right now, but maybe someone that they actually like trust, maybe not a stranger, maybe a teacher, maybe a pastor, maybe someone that they, they know that might be a better option because they know more about that specific problem that my child is coming through. So having, having that foreknowledge that I'm not always going to be the know-it-all inside their life, I think is really beneficial and it kind of lowers the, the bar that I have to know everything because that can be quite troubling as well. Like if you're running around with your head chopped off like a chicken and you're worried about like, okay, do I have this bothering thing down? It's like, well, no, you don't because no one does fully. And that's actually okay. And maybe you're lucky enough to do it wrong one time so you can do it right the next time. That's another way of looking at it. Accidentally nail it. Accidentally nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like what you said there. You don't, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to know everything. I want to be prepared for anything. Yeah. You know, because the, the new challenges that pop up, uh, at least we can maybe help them as they get older. What I'm finding, because my oldest is seven and a half, is he's coming to me with like problems because in some cases he sees me as the answer. And I'm like, guess what? You are in a place that you are perfectly capable of coming up with this answer on your own. So I'll ask him, well, what do you think? What is your solution? What are a few possible solutions to this before I just tell you what I think, what I want to do? Um, so that in a, in a time and a place where I'm not around or his mom's not around or somebody else, he'll at least be able to independently problem solve and think while also hopefully knowing whoever, you know, whether it's me, his, his mom, friends, family are there as a resource as well. But no, I really like that. Um, yeah, that's good. I, I think I've heard it said before in another way, it's like learn how to teach them how to think and not specifically what to think, hmm. which is good. If you can teach them how to like problem solve and stuff like that, that's dynamite. It is, it is dynamite. And again, for those in the business world, if you're leading teams, it's the same thing. It's how do we, if we always give the answer, we will always get the question. So if you really like getting questions all the time, do what you're going to do. Uh, but if you want less questions and people to feel empowered and, you know, there's a confidence that comes with problem solving too, and be equipped that way. Like good questions is what, what we try to get good at. I think as dads too. So that too, absolutely. you know. You are, you are daddy hero. So stay on. Well, sir, I really appreciate you taking the time, uh, and joining on this podcast with me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks for having me. I want to fly out to Stockholm right now, but it was a blast, sir. And again, thanks for joining in and, uh, any final parting words that, that you would have. That's it. I think I said my piece. And like I said, thanks for having me. It was really, really fun. And uh, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Guys, if uh, guys and gals, if you made it this far into the podcast, I want to say thank you for joining in on Alex's conversation, Alex and I's conversation. And I had some really good takeaways from that, both understanding some of the cultural differences that we see uh, around the world when it comes to parenting or being a dad, as well as just some really cool takeaways from, from Alex's story. 
if you get an opportunity and you think of somebody else that maybe could take some points away from Alex's story or our conversation, please share it with them. The point of this podcast is that we can help equip other parents and dads through the stories that we're experiencing ourselves. If you want more information, you can also go to skilleddad.com or follow us on the different socials at skilleddad. But at the end of the day, we hope that you take something away from this story that you can apply on your life and your journey to becoming the skilled dad.